0: Good evening. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1st uh, Timothy. We're going to be reading 1st Timothy chapter 3 beginning at verse 16 and then reading through chapter 4 verse 10. It's a passage we're going to be looking at tonight under the theme of the mystery and the pursuit of godliness. Beginning at 1st Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. Hear now the word of our God, which is living and powerful. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith, by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons, through the insincerity of liars, whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Let's pray together again and ask God's blessing on His Word. The Lord our God, we have read Your Word. Uh, We know that you are the one uh, who looks down upon us and sees us gathered here in worship. And we do ask that you would bless this your word by your spirit uh, to all of us. Lord, teach us your ways. and Give us hearts that are united together in love for you and a desire to pursue godliness to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you've ever thought about or felt the weight of the impossibility of godliness. I know years ago we were in a church as a family. that was in an inner city in Indiana, and there were men who would regularly come to the church through the ministry of some of the deacons from a rescue mission. And I remember one of the men who was a prostitute and a drug addict saying, you know, We're just not like you people. These people here are good. We're not good. And of course it's true that all the people gathered there were sinners, but but he saw and felt something. There was something there. As we turn to God's Word tonight, uh, to look at the call to godliness, if we would have read through chapter 3, we would see there that Uh, The Apostle Paul lays uh, before the church these characteristics, these qualities of character that are to mark elders and deacons. Uh, Elders must be men who are above reproach, one-woman men, uh, men who are sober-minded and self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, gentle, managing their households well. You know, as we read things like this in, in the Word of God, I think there's a, there's a right sense, just like this man who came to visit the church, that, that we feel a weightiness about this. And, and, and maybe as we feel our own remaining sins in our lives, maybe patterns of sin in our lives, we, we wonder, is it possible? Is it possible for someone to be like this? How can someone actually be like this? Well, the Apostle Paul, in chapter 3, verse 16, picks up on this. And he says that there is a, there's a real mystery. There's a mystery of godliness. And Paul says, verse 16, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. You see, there is this uh, marvelous, this astounding, incredible mystery that really stands behind and above the otherworldly change that takes place in men and women who are saved by the grace of God and then begin to be changed and transformed over time. There's there's this astounding, incredible mystery that stands behind the spiritual growth of every Christian from the youngest child to the oldest saint. What is it that stands behind and above the mystery of godliness? What is it? Well, Paul sums it up in three poetic paired lines here in the rest of verse 16. He says this. He says, he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. The Apostle Paul is saying to us here, here is the heart, here is the source, here is the culmination, the answer to the great mystery of godliness God the son took to himself our nature God the son was manifested in the flesh he is the one the eternal son who became the second Adam he became the man of perfect full complete godliness godliness So that there was a baby who was born, a child who played in the streets in this world, a man who walked and talked on this earth, who never ever sinned. He was the pure, innocent, godly man through and through. God the Son manifested in the flesh. And we know He lived, He suffered, He was crucified, He died, He was raised from the dead. He was, through all of this, justified, vindicated, especially in and through the resurrection, culminating all of this by the Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. And His cosmic work that He was doing was was carried out in this world, the Apostle goes on to say, before the witnessing sight of holy angels. The angels were watching. They were enthralled. They were full of wonder at the incredible mystery that God who is exalted so far above all of His creatures and creation would stoop down to become a man to take to Himself our nature in the Son. The angel saw it and marveled at it. And Paul says, at the same time, this great reality is what was and what is being proclaimed through the nations. Right at the time when Paul is writing this to Timothy, it's being proclaimed through the nations. There's a church in Ephesus where this has been proclaimed. People are talking about this. And the same is true today. It's being proclaimed through the nations. So that He, God the Son, in the flesh and all who He is and was, and all that He did and is doing, is actually believed on in this world. In a world that's dead. In a world that's rebel. In a world that's in darkness. People actually believe Believe and see and know that this is the work of God. And Paul says, and this is the one who believed on in the world has been taken up in glory where he is right now. And so it's this Jesus, God the Son, who is busy at work saving, sanctifying sinners. He's both God and And he's the perfectly godly one. He's the source. He's the cause of any and all godliness in this world. And so Paul himself, as he testified in chapter 1, this is how he was changed. Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he talks about, he gives a little biography of his own life. He says, I was an insolent man. I hated God. I was a blasphemer. And my life was bent on destroying the church of Jesus Christ. I hated the church. And I loved to persecute it. But God took hold of me. So the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ overflowed for me. I was forgiven. I was changed. And the Apostle Paul was changed from being a man of pride and abuse to a man looking to Jesus, wanting to press on in the call of Jesus as a servant of him. Well, this is the great, the incredible wonder of the mystery of godliness. Well, as we look now to verses 1 through 5, we see that the apostle in chapter 4 now turns to show us that even as God has done this great and mysterious work and He's unfolding this and He's doing this in the world, there's also false godliness around. A false godliness that denies the goodness of God and distorts the truth of God's Word. Verse 1, the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith. Paul is saying, Timothy, as you live in this world, as you live in the church, as you shepherd God's people, you and the church need to know this, that in later times, which is the language of the last days, the days between Jesus' resurrection and ascension to the day when he returns, some people will walk away from the faith. How? By devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, there will be those who, who walk away and, and reveal that their, their devotion wasn't to God, but is actually to evil. And the way they're drawn away is through deception. Following teachers who are departing from the truth and teachers who really don't care. Paul calls them insincere liars. He says their consciences are seared, they're hard. Well, in verse 3, Paul gives us an example of what these false teachers are teaching. You see, these are, these are people who are claiming to be Christians. In some ways, it's very similar to what we've been hearing from the book of Galatians. Now, what are they teaching? Well, they're not teaching that you're saved by trusting in Jesus plus circumcision. Now, they're teaching that, that marriage should really not be something that Christians enter into, that you should abstain from different kinds of food that God has created. Verse 3, foods and, and marriage that God has created to be received with thanksgiving by those who know the truth and believe it. Well, this might seem strange to us. How would this attract anybody? Forbidding marriage, not being able to eat good foods, well, false teachers, uh, false godliness uh, often mixes together legalism and, and calls it more godly along with lawlessness going hand in hand. And, and Paul says these teachers are liars and, and they're quite good at it. They specialize in this. They, they say it's actually a better way. They celebrate it. Maybe this is a higher ethic to follow. This is a better way to glorify God, and it gives you more pleasure at the same time. In in the life of the church today in America, we have have churches that would claim that real godliness uh, maybe requires being vegan or driving an electric car, and that true love, true godly love at the same time is accepting homosexuality as a behavior and lifestyle and pattern. There are kinds of false godliness that we encounter in our world today. They claim that they have a a better way, that this is really the way to honor God and to live in this world in love. But as they do, what are they doing? They're, They're actually distorting what godliness is. They're taking away what's good and holy and happy and blessed and substituting, the Apostle Paul says, substituting evil and actually doing so as part of a cosmic rebellion and evil against God. The apostle says uh, back in verse 1 that they're, they're doing this in league with, with the demons, with deceitful spirits, deceiving and destroying. John Calvin, the Bible commentator, says this. He says, The world easily permits itself to be hindered from doing that which God says is lawful. In order that they might transgress with impunity the laws of God. False religion always sets up things that can't be done or shouldn't be done and then uses that to create space and sort of a a comfort to the conscience to pursue sin at the same time. Now, what's Paul's antidote as he he speaks to Timothy and calls him and the church to beware of patterns of false godliness? He looks to and shows Timothy and the church the goodness of God. Verse 4 Everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. The Apostle Paul here is directly uh, refuting the forbidding of marriage and the requiring of abstinence for particular foods, this particular kind of legalism. And he says, no, God has given marriage. God has given good foods. He's given meats and vegetables. He's given a whole range of foods out of His goodness to us. It's lavish bounty for us to enjoy. Our God delights to give good gifts to His children. This is written over and over in His Word. And so everything that God has created is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. Now, the Apostle's not saying that everything that man has created is good. He's saying that everything that God has created, all of the gifts that He gives in life, everything that He's ordained, everything that He's given us, that He lays out in His Word, as good and holy is to be received with gladness. And how? It's to be received, he says, with thanksgiving, and it's made holy by the word of God and prayer. I don't know if you've ever thought about it. Maybe a very common practice in many of our homes as Christians. That is practice where people pray before meals. Maybe open the Bible before some of their meals, and they read the word of God. And where did that come from? Is that just a is it just a Dutch custom? Well, it is in part probably a Dutch custom but we see it around the world. Christians do it all over the place. Where does it come from? One of the places we see it in the Word is right here. This opening the Word, uh, praying, giving thanks to God for the good gifts of food that we enjoy. This is part of the pattern of true godliness, rejoicing in God's goodness, thanking Him for His blessings, for His generous love to us. One of the most powerful answers to the lies of false teaching is the beauty, the joy, the happiness, the goodness of walking in relationship with God and all that He has given to us. Well, now Paul tells Timothy in verse 6 as we see him now transition to call Timothy and the church and us into the pursuit of godliness. He says he's. He's walked through the mystery of godliness and the generous goodness of God. He says, Timothy, this is what you need to tell the church, verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus. The apostle goes on to note that there's a connection between what what we should be saying and talking about and what we believe and know. If Timothy puts these things before the brothers, he's serving Jesus well. But how is he able to serve Jesus well in what he says, what he tells the church, what he tells fellow believers? He's only able to do it as he's being nourished by the Word of God in order for him to bear fruit in his speech and encouraging believers in what's true godliness and seeing the answer to the mystery of godliness in Christ and seeing the way God in Christ is working out His salvation and it's rippling out into people's lives. So the people who are once hating God are changed and they're saved and they begin to grow in grace. And sin begins to be put to death. And Changes start to work out in their lives over years and decades. There's this beautiful change that Pastor Dale talked about this morning that starts to happen, that we see in each other slowly. Paul says, Timothy, the way you can communicate these things is as you're nourished in the Word, it's because you're, you're being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. You know, being able to communicate this and being trained in the Word, maybe an analogy would be, uh, maybe some of you have worked uh, this past summer at at teaching a son or a daughter to mow the lawn. Well, how do you do that? Well, you begin by talking to them. And uh, if they listen to what you say, and maybe follow your example as you show them, they're trained. It's how they get trained It's by communicating, by talking, but as they listen, as they follow the example, as they take in what's being taught, then they're trained and then they're actually able to go out to the yard and start the mower and mow the lawn and, and not injure themselves and not destroy things in the backyard they're able to do so. And in fact, once they've received that training, they've they've learned, they've listened, and they've grown, they're actually able then to help others learn. There was another sibling that came along the line. They might give some input as well. This is what the Apostle is saying. We ourselves need to be trained. We need to be listening and learning so that we can then speak to others. Now, as we look to verse 7, we're reminded by the Apostle that that in this this learning and training and encouraging and godliness and celebrating what God is doing in this world through His Son, in building His church, we need to be careful because there are pitfalls in life. And the Apostle just mentions one here. He says in verse 7, Timothy have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. The tone is strong here. Like Paul saying, don't even start getting yourself into things that are false, foolish, or unhelpful. Timothy, don't fill your heart and mind with things that will detract and distract you from living life more fully in Christ. Or maybe he's saying, Timothy, if you started doing this, stop. Pull back. Don't fall prey to junk for the soul. Slow poison for your heart and mind. And We don't know exactly what the danger was here for Timothy. Maybe it was a danger that rose in conversations, things that people were talking about. Uh, that were maybe intriguing, and he was pulled into. Maybe it was reading. In those days, they read things, and maybe some of the kids here have been, heard about things like the Iliad and the Odyssey, Homer's writings, or the Aeneid, these ancient writings, these myths and stories that were fascinating. Maybe it was an entertainment. There was a big theater in Ephesus. Whatever it was, Paul is saying, Timothy, think about as you grow in and as you seek to be trained in and strengthen fellow believers, think about what you're putting into your own soul, into your own heart and mind. Reflect on it. And rather than, verse 7, rather than having your heart and mind filled with these myths, Paul says, train yourself for godliness. Now certainly, as we look back to verse 6, God gives us an abundance of good gifts to enjoy. Uh, We could think of uh, the many things we can enjoy as we relax, maybe watching some Netflix or Prime. There's so many good and lovely things that we can watch, but there's a lot there too, isn't there, that might fall into this category. What are we filling our hearts and minds with, with our souls with? Is it coherent with the pursuit of godliness? Well, Timothy says, train yourself for godliness. That's the second time he uses this language of training, isn't it? He just spoke to Timothy of being trained in faith and good doctrine in verse 6. And now he brings us together with training for godliness. They go hand in hand. It's the pursuit of godliness Make sure you are training yourself. And there is really a marvelous flow here where Paul's brought us from the end of chapter 3, the revelation of the mystery of godliness in Jesus, warning against false godliness, and now the call, take hold of, actively engage the pursuit of godliness. Brothers and sisters, friends, do you want godliness? Do you want to be more like God in your character? That's what godliness is. To be godly is to be like God in our in our characters. To be conformed to who He is more and more and. In fellowship with him more and more? Do you want to be more faithful, more loving, more patient, more righteous? Do you want to be more self controlled? Do you want to be more generous, more just? Do you want to grow in repentance, in faith, in new obedience? Do you want to grow to be more like Jesus? You know, everyone who is born again, everyone who is a Christian has the beginnings of godliness. There will be a hunger here. And Jesus says in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. There will be a hunger there. A desire. Every Christian has the beginnings of this and, and there will be a desire. And one of the encouraging things here is if you look in your life and and you grieve sin and you know there's sin in your life that you hate, but you want to grow, there's only one way that it can be there. It's through the mystery of godliness that the Apostle has talked about. It's through the work of Jesus Christ by His Spirit applying your Word in your heart and life and causing that stirring, causing... That desire to be there. To be alive in you. And to start to pull you in those directions. Every Christian has the beginnings of godliness. And every Christian grieves their weakness in it. Well, why why is this in the Christian We just mentioned it. It's it's because, as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, it's because this is the will of God, your sanctification. Where God is at work, we want, we start to want, His good will. H.B. Charles, a great preacher, puts it this way. He says this, It is the will of God... To have the Spirit of God use the Word of God to make the children of God look like the Son of God. This is God's will. By His Word and Spirit to make His children look like His only begotten Son. And this is this glorious mystery. This is why it's actually true. Well, that man who I had conversations with who came from the rescue mission, who was living in prostitution and drug addiction, when he looked at this church and he said, these people are good. We'd all have to say, you, you don't maybe understand, we're sinners. We are sinners who desperately need the grace of God. But he was right in seeing that there was actually some goodness there, supernaturally, by the grace of God. And isn't that maybe a story of some of our lives? I can remember as a teenager, all my friends in public school, playing soccer with them, all of my buddies, none of them Christians. And what did I see in the church youth group, and youth that took me under their wing when I was under the fringe? I saw people who had love and kindness and something about them that I did not have that my friends did not have in school. There was a marked difference. There was a goodness there. And that goodness came through the Lord Jesus Christ at work. And so this is what Jesus, through His Apostle, is encouraging Timothy and us Brothers, sisters, Jesus has saved you. Brought you to Himself. And you have things to do now. That you're born again. Now that you're being trained under and nourished by My Word, now train yourself for godliness. Take hold of this and lean into it and go with it. And he gives us some great reasons why. Verse 8, he says, Bodily training is of some value. Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and for the life to come. Paul's use of language here is athletic. He compares training for godliness to physical training and exercise. I think we all know that physical training, stewarding our bodies, has value. Uh, perhaps you felt that during COVID lockdowns. Or if just if you spend a lot of time just sitting down, not exercising, not moving around, you start to feel sluggish. You don't feel well. But if you get out and you start to exercise, you, you work with your body. You feel the value of bodily training, of bodily exercise. And Paul says we know that. We can feel it. We can experience it. And Paul says, training in godliness is far better. To move your soul, to grow out of sluggishness, to begin to exercise has value in every way, right now and forever. So how can we train ourselves for godliness? Well, first... We need to begin, we need to start, and we need to keep going in training for godliness by always understanding the mystery of godliness. You and I cannot be godly on our own. We have to realize that it's in and through Jesus Christ, and it it just begins and continues in the simple way of walking close to Jesus, confessing our sin to Him. Resting in the promise that Christ is totally sufficient for us. That he welcomes sinners to himself. And then relying on him all the way along. Realizing that, that as Christians, you are able to begin to work out your salvation. To grow because it is God who works in you to desire and to do His good pleasure. And so we need that in our heart and mind. And then secondly, we need to train, like the Apostle says. And training doesn't just happen by accident. If you think of athletic training, it takes some intentionality. And this is where studying this passage myself, and I think probably many of us, could maybe grow somewhat. And just thinking about and being a bit more intentional, Uh, going to work using the ordinary means of grace and, and by God's grace. I think many of us here tonight are doing this. We're here tonight worshiping on a Sunday night. We're here to hear the Word of God. And those are the things that God uses. Those are the things that help us. We actually exercise our souls by coming to worship. And participating in worship. That's part of the training. Reading your Bible. Studying the Word. Fellowshiping with Christians. You know, it could be as simple as this. Thinking about this training for godliness and going into this week and saying, you know what? I've got a lunch break every day. I'm going to train for godliness just using the ordinary things God's given. His Word and Spirit and Prayer. I'm going to read my Bible on my phone for a few minutes at the beginning of lunch every day. I'm just going to commit to that and pray. Instead of just going right to Fox News or CNN or my texts or whatever, I want to begin to be more of a man or a woman of the Word. I'm going to pursue that. And then then maybe to help me out, Uh, It would help if when I come home from work, I share just a little something about what I read with my husband or wife. Or if I'm busy at home with the kids, uh, maybe a way that I could begin to train myself in godliness a little more and just grow in this and lean into the goodness of becoming more like Christ in the areas of my life where I'm weak. I could put on the audio Bible for a little while every morning as I do work around the house. Or maybe some psalms or hymns. Some really solid, rich Christian music. And, and, and let that saturate into my hearing and my thoughts as I go through part of that morning. And then maybe share some of it with the kids or, or with my husband when he comes home from work. And then pray, Lord, work in me. Help me through this this added focus, this discipline to grow in your grace. That's just one example. There could be many, many other ways you could do it. We could look through things like the characteristics of elders and deacons and think about character areas. Maybe there's a particular sin in your life that you know and you you hate it. Maybe you know you're prone to pride or to laziness or to lust or to anger. And you can... You can come to one of the elders or one of the pastors and say, could you help me? I want to train. I want to grow. I do want to put this sin more to death in my life. Could you get me some good resources, some good things to read? Could you encourage me in this? Paul says, pursue this training and it will bear fruit. It holds promise. Promise Right now in your life and for the life to come. And the Lord blesses it. I'm sure, as you, if you had conversations with fellow believers here, those who walked with the Lord for a while, and you ask them, like Pastor Dale this morning, maybe ask their spouses, are there ways that your husband or wife by grace changed over time? Those who are walking with the Lord could say, yes, in this way or this way, even with the ups and downs and the struggles and challenges. Paul says, verse 9, this saying is trustworthy and it's deserving of full acceptance. This, training yourself for godliness, is something to hold on to, to make a core part of your life. Now, the Apostle Paul has no illusions Remember, Paul is the man who grieves his sin in Romans. He says, "O wretched man that I am, who is going to deliver me from this body of death?" Paul's the man who cries out from, for deliverance from trials in the book of Corinthians. He says, "Three times I cried out to God and asked to be delivered from this thorn in the flesh." You know, a Christian is not sinless. But a Christian wants to sin less. And by God's grace is on a trajectory of growth in godliness. And God's promise is that he who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. We will grow, and at times we may fall. But the Lord is faithful. And one day He will bring us to full glorification. That's why the death of the saints is precious in His sight. At that moment, we'll be made perfectly holy. And all the wars will be done. We will enter into the blessedness of the rest of the saints enjoy in heaven. Training for godliness is good. It is beautiful. And it bears great fruit. It is hard, it is spiritual war, and it is work. We will have failures, we are weak. But as hard as it is, it is more than possible to gain victories. It is possible to actually advance and grow. And the apostle reminds us of this as he concludes in verse 10. He says, For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God. God is faithful, God is powerful. God's steadfast love endures forever. Paul says, we work at this because we have hope. And our hope is in God and in Jesus Christ. Think of what he says in Romans. And if God is for us, who can stand against us? Calls us to war. And it will be war. But we will be fighting the good fight of faith. In Isaiah, the Lord says this, Listen to me. You've been born by me from before your birth. I carried you from the womb. And even to your old age, I am he. And to your gray hairs, I will carry you. I've made you. I will bear you, I will carry, and I will save. Later in Isaiah 51, he says this Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. I comfort Zion, I make her wilderness like Eden, I make her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her thanksgiving and the voice of song. God, your Savior, is the one who says in His Word, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. The Apostle tells us He is the only Savior and He is the Savior of everyone who believes. Amen? Amen. Let's pray to Him. O Lord, our God, we thank You that the mystery of godliness is something that You have revealed. How we thank You that You are the one who is in the business of making sinners like us. Lord, with all our shame and guilt, all of our evil into those who are not only cleansed and washed and forgiven through your dear Son, but then also ones who by your mysterious grace at work in us begin to grow. Lord, help us to enter into what you call us into. Help us, Lord, to pursue this. Lord, help us, we pray, to to grow in training ourselves for godliness. We confess, Lord, we are not good at this. But Lord, we want to be better. We want to love you better. Lord, we want our sin to diminish. We want uh, your generosity and goodness and kindness and holiness and everything good to overflow more in our lives. Lord, we pray that you would do this And that you would help us to fight this good fight of faith, looking to you. You are our great Savior. How we thank you for that, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing in conclusion the hymn, Love Divine, All Loves Excelling.